0: For many people, the idea of a human claiming to be God is not as far-fetched as it may seem to you and many others in in the 21st century. Many mystical, often Eastern religions, believe that God is not a person. God is simply some kind of force And that force can be found in all kinds of places, even in the material world, even in animal life. And each of us may contain aspects of deity, if not even be a little form of God ourselves. There have been civilizations which believed that their ruler or their emperor was a god The Romans believed that of their Caesars. In ancient Egypt, Pharaoh was considered to be half man, half God. So the idea of a man being God was not necessarily all that strange in years gone by. And with that kind of backdrop 2,000 years ago, the claim that a man was God or could be God, was maybe not quite so crazy as it sounds to modern ears. Unless, of course, you were a Jew. It's interesting, isn't it, of, of course this is all in God's wise counsel, but of all the nations being asked to accept that a man could also be God, the nation to whom that truth was brought was probably the nation that would find it the most difficult to accept. And of course, many of them didn't. Because of all that God had revealed about himself in the Old Testament, the Jews had a high regard for God. That God was so transcendent above this world, it was unthinkable to them that he could ever be part of the world. And that was true as far as the Old Testament was concerned. This is the God where we read in the Old Testament, he struck a man dead for simply touching the Ark of the Covenant when he thought it was about to topple off a cart that was carrying it. And that perhaps seems rather harsh to us that God would do that. But of course, they were completely ignoring some very clear instructions that God had given about how the ark was to be carried. And if God has said that something needs to be done like this, it's not for us to decide, no, it should be done like that. This was the God who had a cordon put in place all around the base. Of the mountain where he would appear to Moses. Because the presence of God is hallowed ground. And no Tom, Dick or Harry can presume to approach God on their own terms. If you try, you will die. And so this is the view that the nation of Israel had about God which is very understandable and it's the right kind of view to have so holy is God in his infinite wisdom and in his holiness and in his power they wouldn't even write out in full his name in their scriptures they considered themselves far too unworthy to even dare to do such a thing so God's name was abbreviated when written in the scriptures. And they wouldn't even speak God's name. So hallowed and holy did they consider it to be. And this abbreviated form that they had in their Hebrew Old Testament scriptures were not even sure how they used to pronounce it. To have such reverence towards God when it comes truly from the heart, well, this, of course, is a very good thing. And for this infinite and transcendent God to be thought of as a mere man, well, this was ultimate blasphemy for the Jews. And, of course, that was the charge that was frequently brought against Jesus by the chief priests and the scribes and the Pharisees. And they were sincere in this. However, despite everything I've just said, they were sincerely wrong. Why were they wrong? Even though they were thinking along right lines. Well, you see, throughout the Old Testament, if they had had the spiritual eyes to see it, those same scriptures which gave rise to such reverence for God also foretold of his personal coming into the world. From the seed of the woman in Genesis chapter 3. To the seed of David who had established an an everlasting kingdom. To the child and son who was to be born and given in Isaiah chapter 9. Whose name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. A child is to be born who is mighty God. And then all through the New Testament, the apostles affirm again and again that Jesus was the fulfillment of these Old Testament prophecies and is therefore God and man. So we have John in the stunning opening verses of his gospel declaring that Jesus, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have Paul telling us in Colossians 2 that in Christ dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily in human form. We have Peter in the opening of his second letter referring to Jesus Christ as the one who is God and Saviour. And Hebrews, insisting that Jesus is the brightness of God's glory and the express image of God's person, upholding all things by the power of his word. And in, in addition to that, the four the gospel writers, and particularly John in his gospel, They record many sayings of Jesus where he unequivocally and without any ambiguity whatsoever declares himself to be God. And if you begin reading the New Testament at the beginning, which is Matthew, at the start of Matthew's declaration about the Lord Jesus Christ, we find here in the opening chapter of Matthew, this glorious truth that this Jesus who is born is God. In this opening chapter, the angel of the Lord reassures Joseph that all is well. Don't go ahead with what you're thinking, Joseph, that uh, because Mary has become cre- pregnant, this is a great shame and she needs just to be dealt with quietly. No, no, you must continue with this because this is all of God's doing. That which is conceived in Mary is of the Holy Spirit. She will bring forth a son. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And then the text continues, So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated, God with us. Jesus is God with us. And that's important. If the rest of the New Testament is going to make any meaningful sense to you, you need First, to grasp this primary truth about Jesus. That he is God. If you're going to understand any of the things that Jesus did and taught. If his suffering and his death and his resurrection are going to have any impact on you at all. Then you first have to pause at Matthew chapter 1. Verses 20 to 23. And ask yourself, do I believe this? Do I believe this? Because the rest of the New Testament will not make any sense to you until you get this issue sorted. That this Jesus is God The world has seen many people who did and said great things. <clears throat> and most people suffer and all people die. So, on the face of it, Jesus is no different from anybody else who's held in esteem. The resurrection's a bit of a tricky one, but we can probably explain that away somehow. But on the face of it, he's no different to any other great person who's lived, all people suffer, everyone dies. But if this man Jesus is actually and truly and really God, then I must embrace all the amazing things that he did with wonder and with worship. And if this man Jesus really is God... I'd better take notice of the things he said. And if this is God (coughs) suffering, if this is God dying, why would he do that? If all these things happened to one who is God, that changes the whole complexion of everything that we're looking at. And now the resurrection is not so uncertain either. A well-known Christian uh, teacher and biblical scholar, very elderly, J.I. Packer, he said this. Listen to what he said. God became man. The divine Son became a Jew. The Almighty appeared on earth as a helpless human baby. Unable to do more than lie and stare and wriggle and make noises. Needing to be fed and changed and taught how to talk like any other child. The babyhood of the Son of God was a reality. The more you think about it, the more staggering it gets. Nothing in fiction is so fantastic as this truth of the incarnation. And he's right. And, of course, this great theme is is taken up in all of the carols that we sing at this time of year. Millions of people across the globe will be singing words like this over the next few weeks. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Please, as as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel, or very God begotten, not created. From the Carol o come only faithful, God of God, light of light. Lo, within a manger lies he who built the starry skies. He came down to earth from heaven, who is God. And Lord of all, with the poor and mean and lowly, lived on earth, our Savior, holy. Jesus is God. Jesus is man. God is with us. God has come down. Now, in the light of these. Fantastic truths. Certain realities confront us. And I want to consider three with you this morning. Number one, humility. Humility. The Bible teaches that Jesus is both man and God. He did not cease to be God. He did not become less than God. But in taking on a fully human form he had to give himself to all of the limitations that come with a human body and a human mind and a human nature although not a sinful one. He voluntarily restrained himself and confined himself to human existence whilst remaining fully God. And it's the ultimate example of humility that the God of heaven, the God of creation would restrain and confine himself in such a way. The creator has become as a creature. Now, mark my words carefully. Christ is not created, but he's made himself like one of his creatures. One who has only ever dwelt in eternity has now stepped into time. He's now able to experience physical pain, hunger, thirst, tiredness, even temptation. And nothing less than humility is required of those who would follow him. The world is all about self-esteem, self-promotion, getting on in the world, improving yourself, moving up the ladder, making something of yourself, achieving your dreams. When Christ was born, he came to the bottom and stayed there as far as the world was concerned. The airwaves and newspaper columns Uh, this week have bombarded us with uh, the news of Harry and Meghan. There's been quite a lot of focus on her relatively humble origins and the place in which she now finds herself. In just a little over six months' time, she will be, whether you like it or not, Your Royal Highness. 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 That's what the world likes, to be high. That's what the world craves. That's what the world seeks. That's why millions of girls all around the world will be wishing they were Meghan Markle. That's what the world esteems. That's what the world tries to achieve. Highness, I want everyone to be looking up to me Not down at me. Getting to the top of the career ladder. To the top of the salary scale. To the top of the rich list. To the top of the housing market. The best car in the car park. To be held in the highest regard on the basis of wealth and position and achievement and status. And the Lord of glory was laid to rest in an animal feeding trough. Humility. How it is for the world is not how it is for the Christian. And that's not how it was for our Saviour and our Lord. His message, deny yourself. Deny yourself. Take up your cross, follow me. It goes right against the grain of the world in which we live. You give up your right to self-determination. You are not the captain of your soul. You are not the navigator of your life's path. You take all that you have hoped that your life might one day be and you place it at God's feet For him to do with as he chooses and as he pleases. That's the Christian path. Because that was Christ's path. Humility. Your life in Christ's kingdom requires that you first of all live for him. And then after that you esteem everyone else better than yourself. And you don't esteem... Only those who you reluctantly have to admit probably are better than you. You esteem everyone better than yourself. To do that, you have to deny yourself. And if you've never done that, then according to the words of Jesus, you are not his disciple. And to do that, you have to admit that you are the sinner that the Bible says you are. And to do that, you have to admit that you are the flawed moral failure that the Bible says you are. And you do deserve God's condemnation. You do deserve God's judgment. And you have to humble yourself before him, confessing all of your sins, which means to agree with him about them. And having confessed them, you must turn from them. And to turn from them, you have to want to turn from them. And that's when you discover that in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're able to. Because he's changed you and made you new. And you humbly come to the foot of the cross. And you give everything to him. The Bible calls it repentance. And you cling to Christ by faith. <clears throat> Humility. And because this man Jesus is God, secondly, there is hope. There is hope. One day, Christ is going to return to judge the sins of the world, but first, he came into the world to bear them at Calvary. One day, Christ will come to hand out the penalty of the sins of the world. But first, he came to pay the penalty for your sins. Mild, he lays his glory by. Born, that man no more may die Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them second birth. To be born again in God by his spirit through Christ. This hope only exists if Jesus is God. Because no one but God can deal with your sins. When Jesus was brought face to face with a paralyzed man who had been lowered down on his bed through a hole in the roof of a house by four friends, Jesus was filled with compassion for the man and he was struck by the faith of his friends up on the roof. And there and then Jesus publicly forgave the paralyzed man's sins and outrage ensued. Who does he think he is? Forgiving sins? God alone can do that. And Jesus agreed with them. And so proceeded to demonstrate that he really does have the authority to forgive sins by demonstrating that he has the power to cure the man's paralysis. And up from that bed, the man got rejoicing. Because the only way that Jesus could do either of those things is if Jesus is God. The promise given to Christians is that the new life that you receive is everlasting life. How can you be confident that that's true? How can you be confident that that's the case? Because the eternal became a man. And as a man, he is risen. But this risen man is also God, who is now seated at the right hand of the Father at heaven's throne. And there he's worshipped as the God that he is. And it's he who's given you these precious promises. He's the one who's qualified The disciples saw it in him. You have the words of eternal life. What is it that separates the Christian faith from all other forms of religion? What is it that fills you with hope and can give you such assurance? It's this. All other religions say Look what you must do for God. The Christian faith through the Bible says, look at what God has done for you. He came down to earth from heaven, who is God and Lord of all. And his name is to be called Jesus. he will save his people from their sins it is true of course that as Christians the Bible teaches that there is much that you must do which is the proof and the outworking of genuine faith in Christ faith without works is a dead faith but even on this point you see the Christian faith differs from all the rest the starting point is different Because it's based on what God himself has done for you. And it's based upon what God himself has done in you, in bringing new birth. God hasn't provided a method of salvation. He himself has personally become your salvation. And he has personally become your saviour. It doesn't provide a method by which you can save yourself, because we can't. He himself has saved you. And the way that you continue in the faith is also different. Because to do the works that we must do as Christian people, (coughs) well, we can only do them because Jesus personally has promised that he will indwell you by his spirit. And you have his life in you. So the whole premise for the Christian faith is completely different. To all other religions. And Jesus can only do these things. If he is God. And he is God. So you have hope. And thirdly. Because he is God. You also have help. You have help. Because Jesus is God. You have a God who understands what it's like to live and struggle and to grieve and to be disappointed. When I was 17 years old, a girl in the youth group at my church, her name was Angela, she was a year older than me. She died of leukemia after several years of illness. She was a Christian. Her devastated mum and dad, who were also believers, within a few months discovered that God had opened up for them a most unexpected door for Christian witness. There were other grieving parents. There are always grieving parents who had lost a child. And when you're in that situation, you see, and you're desperate for help, If you're a grieving parent, the only person in your eyes who really is qualified to speak to you with any kind of credibility is another parent who's been through the same thing. Someone who knows what you're going through. Someone who can even just take your hand and look in your eyes and say, I know. And you know they know, because they've been there. And Angela's mum and dad, within a very short space of time, found that they were able to sit along broken, alongside broken families and speak comfort into their situation and speak of the comfort and hope that they had in Christ. Because they were believers, and their daughter who passed away was a believer And the God in whom they believed knows what it's like to grieve. And our God in the person of Jesus Christ knows because he was, he is, and he always will be the God-man. And he knows. And so he's qualified to help in every way. Now, he'd be qualified to help simply because he's God. But how much more that he's the God-man? How much more that God the Father knows what it's like to grieve over a son? How much more that the Holy Spirit knows what it's like to come alongside Christ in Gethsemane and try to strengthen and comfort him in his great agony of soul? The whole Godhead, Father, Son and Spirit... Know about these things because the Lord Jesus Christ is both God and man and has experienced all of these things that you go through. And those things affected the whole of the Godhead. God knows because there is one in heaven who is a man. A God who knows about rejection and heartache and suffering and injustice because he has walked this earth. And at the same time, this man to whom you can go because he understands, he is God. And so he's able to equip and to supply and to uphold you with all the strength and comfort and grace and peace that you need because Christ the man, Jesus the man, knows and understands And Christ is God. And he has all the riches of heaven at his disposal to aid you and comfort you and help you and strengthen you. And as I've already mentioned, because he indwells the Christian believer in the person of his spirit, he is still for the Christian Emmanuel. God with me. In fact, it goes one step further. God in me. It's the most wonderful news the world has ever received. But have you received it? You could never hope to reach up to him. Your sins prevent you at every turn. But God in Christ has come down. And if you will believe on him, then your personal testimony and experience will be this. He is my Emmanuel. God is with me.